Hello and welcome to the 60th episode of the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. I'm Josh Roller and I'm joined by Rob Peters. He makes up the other half of this podcast. Uh, we are in the two racing meccas of the United States, Charlotte and Indianapolis. And let's hope this podcast goes better than Travis Pastrana's number 60 for Roush Fenway in 2013. I'm sorry, but I had to get Well, there. I mean, that, that could mean a number of things. I mean, are we talking the paint scheme or are we talking the overall? The know? paint scheme. Okay. Come on. Because Travis I mean, didn't have that great of a season in that. Yeah. But the paint scheme was crazy and wild, and let's just hope that we're not. I mean, I think we're crazy and wild, but let's be a good crazy and wild, and not good crazy and whatever wild. that was. So, with that said, Rob has some good news to share today. A uh, number of pieces from a couple different disciplines. Um, one that we're both really excited about because we talked about it before the show here. Uh, then we have races from Darlington and Monza, and neither of them disappointed. Uh, great racing this this past uh, weekend, and uh, and we're just so happy one of the big three didn't win. Sorry to throw that spoiler in there, but but we're just so so giddy about that. Um, so before we go any further, though, make sure you follow us on Twitter because uh, you can see what we tweet and our opinions and when the new sh- next show comes out. So Rob is at R P E E. T E R S three three. That's Rob Peters thirty three. I'm at Roller underscore zero one R O L L E R underscore zero one. Uh, the podcast is at Robin Roller, just as it sounds there. And then uh, follow the hashtag Rob and Roller as well when you play along with our upshift downshift segments, which we'll remind you about uh, later. You share your paint schemes, or you take a guess at what the featured racetrack is. So let's get started. Yeah, Rob, let's go report. Run right into this because this is a lot. There's a lot of uh, news to talk about this week, and I don't want to try. I don't want to give my thoughts on every subject because I feel like every time I do that, we run long. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, so let's start out with uh, Formula One. We're kind of going to categorize it here so that we can go by series by series, which is something that we have now uh, decided to go ahead and do this this week instead of having it all jumbled up together, which is nicer. So Formula One news. Talk about Formula One news today. This week. And Italian Grand Prix was the last that Sir Frank Williams and Claire Williams served as team principal and deputy team principal, re- respectively. Uh, so, like we talked about last week, the Williams team was sold, uh, so it's no longer a family-run team. Uh-huh. And as a result, this weekend, uh, the family, Claire and everybody, decided to step down from their current roles to give the new owners, uh, you know, full control. Uh, so it's very stuff. sad. It's very sad because uh, that, that ends the last family-run team in Formula One. And it, Williams has had a number of, of great successful years in Formula One. Uh, not so much recently, but definitely in the past, they've had a number of very successful years. Um, Claire Williams said, quote, with the fir- future of this team now secured, this feels like the appropriate time for us to step away from the sport. As a family, we have always prioritized Williams. We have demonstrated that by our recent actions with the strategic review process, uh, and we believe now is the right time to hand over the reins and give the new owners the opportunity to take the team into the future. Hopefully we can see a uh, Williams turnaround here soon. Um, That would be great to see, especially for someone like George Russell uh, and Nicholas Latifi, both guys Latifi having a great run on on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, Renault will be renamed Alpine Formula One team in 2021 and will receive a new color scheme of red, white, and blue, the colors of the French flag. Uh, so if you're un- un- unfamiliar with Alpine, which 
let's be honest, most of us in the United States probably are, as much as in the same rays that we're probably unfamiliar with most of Renault's cars, Citroën or uh, Peugeot or something like that, some of those European car marquees. Um, so Alpine is a sports car company owned by Renault that makes currently a single model, the A110. Uh, so Renault is splitting its group into four main businesses, business units as part of this restructuring. Uh, Tim Principal, team principal Cyril Abitul, I can't pronounce his name. I've never been able to pronounce his name, but yeah. you all know him as Cyril. I call him Cyril. Uh, confirmed that he will head up the strategy for Alpine. So the company has now announced a change of name for the Formula One team. Uh, the engine unit will remain under the Renault name. Now, something else I've also heard about that is Alpine is going to continue to make standard combustion engine cars. And one of the main reasons why this is happening, too, is Renault is kind of moving their uh, cars to electric vehicles. So Alpine will continue to you know, create combustion engines, whereas Renault will mostly be electric cars. It's tough to have a sports car that's not that's an electric car, and that's true. But you know the the Alpine brand has uh, had some success in the WEC, uh, mm. relative success, moderate success, um, and so I think that uh, you know this could be very good. It's going to be sad to see Renault kind of step out back from Formula One, considering that they've been such a a marquee name, never really a a front runner, unless Fernando Alonso was in the car. Um, but you know for the most part, they've had some fairly successful seasons. But it will be disappointing, I think, to see to no longer see the Renault bright yellow on in the grid anymore. Um, especially since next year, this team that we're talking about here, Racing Point, uh, Racing Point's going to be Aston Martin. So a lot of teams are going to be different next season. Uh, Aston Martin is going to be in Formula One. Alpine is going to be in Formula One. Um, so very, very interesting changes on the horizon here for 2021 in Formula One, especially with team names and. We still don't know what silly season is going to hold. So yep. drivers could still be uh, moving around uh, all over the place. Uh, so Racing Point, as we were talking about, Racing Point has withdrawn its appeal against the penalty that it received for breaking rec- breaking regulations when designing its brake ducts. So already, where we previously reported last week, most everybody's pretty much just withdrawn their appeals about this. It's just not worth it at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so Racing Point's just going to you know accept the penalty and go from there. Uh, and go and just say, okay, fine, whatever. We're just going to try and capitalize on this. And to be honest with you, uh, P3 for Lance Stroll over the weekend was probably the sign that, you know what, we're going to be fine. Um, Final piece of Formula One news here. Lewis Hamilton has launched X44, a team that will compete in the inaugural season of the all-electric Extreme E off-road series. According to Hamilton, the team, which is named after his race number in F1, is another step towards his ongoing goal of raising awareness of environmental issues. So Extreme E coming next week, next year, um, probably to complement Formula E, uh, especially since we've lost now the uh, Jaguar I-Pace E trophy, which is a series that I kind of enjoyed, but a series that needed a lot more going for it. There wasn't really a lot of overtaking in the series. It was very difficult to overtake in the series. Um, and it, it, it probably was not as well thought out as maybe some people thought it was, but I enjoyed the races for the most part. They were fun little go-aheads. Um, moving on to some IndyCar news here. The Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course uh, race weekend for the NTT IndyCar Series is on this weekend following approval by government officials. So, it's essentially just a quick last minute. Oh, by the way, we're going to Mid Ohio this weekend. You mm-hmm. know, we kind of knew this was going to happen, but now it's official. We are going to Mid Ohio this weekend, uh, so that will be interesting to see. Uh, kind of a last minute throw, but and it'll be a double header too 
But like I've always said, you know, if there's any place to social distance, you want it to be on a road course where people could set up picnics six feet, feet apart and essentially just enjoy the race uh, and not have to worry about sitting in a packed grandstand or anything. So we'll right. see what happens there. We'll see where that goes. Uh, moving on to some NASCAR news, uh, some some sad news again. So we've already reported on a bunch of teams closing up shop this late this weekend, uh, this year in NASCAR. Uh, especially uh, Levine Family Racing being one. But now Jermaine Racing is re- exploring the sale of the team after Geico announced that they would not renew sponsorship of the team. Geico will remain a premier sponsor of the NASCAR Cup Series. One potential buyer could be Justin Marks as he used to acquire, as he looks to acquire a charter and cars for his new team, Trackhouse. Now, this could be uh, disappointing specifically because NASCAR specifically said, I believe, when they were looking for sponsors, premier sponsors, that they said they don't want uh, these sponsors to sign on if it's going to affect their sponsorship with other teams. So Geico remaining a premier sponsor but withdrawing its support for Jermaine Racing kind of has me upset with that because, you know, they're kind of going against what NASCAR said to do in the first place. You know, I feel like they should have, or NASCAR should have pushed them to remain with Jermaine Racing and said, don't worry about sponsoring the series. We can get someone to fix that. We can't have somebody uh, withdrawing support for their for another team. I wonder if there's moment. a lot of some of this is related to COVID, though. Oh, and, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, that's if this was happening and COVID wasn't going on, I would be a little bit more suspicious. I just think this there, there's more COVID related to this Geico decision than they're going to admit. Oh, I'm sure. I sure I'm sure that COVID threw a wrench into everything. Um, and it's unfortunate because, but but what are you going to do? I mean, it's 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 a natural disaster in some cases. I mean, what you can't plan for it. Uh, I mean, you can plan for it, but you know when it happens, it just it happens. You have to deal with the fallout, and unfortunately, we're dealing with the fallout right now. Yep. Um, next piece of news here: William Byron and Eric Almirola will stay in their respective rides next year. William Byron has signed a two-year extension at Hendrick's Motor- Hendrick Motorsports even as Liberty University is only signed through 2021. And if you kept up with the news lately, whew, I don't know how much uh, longer Liberty is going to be on that uh, that car. Yeah. <laughs> you got, I don't need to go into details about that. Look that up on your own time. But some interesting things coming out of Liberty University in the last week. Uh, some not suitable for work. Uh, so bear that in mind. Um, Arco Marola and Smithfield have signed a year extension each. So... At least we know that uh, Ark Almirola is going to be in the car for next year. Um, Steve Phelps spoke with the media this past week and talked about a number of things, including the 2021 schedule. Phelps does not anticipate the Daytona 500 being moved, even if local restrictions prohibit fans or a full track of fans. The schedule may be released in segments as dates can be confirmed. And as of now, Nashville Super Speedway is the only confirmed new venue. The Daytona road course could be under consideration for a points-paying race in the future, but will not replace a race on the Oval. Also, Phelps said that scheduling midweek races for 2021 was, quote, probably in the lower end of probability, unquote, as the sanctioning body and its partners try to balance scheduling and logistics while maintaining its TV ratings. So I think something that we haven't talked about lately, uh, but something that I have known has has been made aware that I've been made aware of is that the uh, midweek races were not very well viewed overall. 
the Sunday races, the weekend races were were had higher ra- viewership ratings than the mid midweek races. So this could be something playing into that. Where you know, if you can get fans to it, it's one thing. Mm-hmm. Like I th- and I think I said this earlier. Is I think if you can get fans to come out to these midweek races, then you might have an argument for them being in some way, shape, or form profitable. But if you can't get ratings, which right now is essentially the must-have thing when you're talking about races being held without fans, that is a problem. That is I a think significant a big, problem. I think a big problem with the ratings was, and I, and I said on here before, you know, not to interrupt you, sorry, but uh, you had them on the on the cable network. You want yeah, they needed to be on the big network, and I I understand that they you might have had other commitments, but. And in a way, sometimes it was just a show, you know, that that was pre-recorded and could have been moved to the next week type deal. Again, I'm not going. We don't need to get into that, but that was, I think, a big problem. Like when you when you have a 1.2 on NBCSN or FS1, like well, that that's probably as best you're going to get. Um, and then it also comes down to you know people saying we want Bristol midweek race. You're not going to ever have Bristol on a midweek race. Got 160,000 seats. You got to sell mm-hmm. Darlington. Nashville Fairgrounds, a South Boston are more likely to ha- to do well on a ticket sales standpoint because they have less seats. Sorry, that. No, I think you're absolutely correct on that one. Um, but that's you know that's something that we got to keep keep monitoring, see what NASCAR is going to do with that in the future. Yeah. Um, Phoenix Raceway will be able to host 20% capacity on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Championship Weekend in November. This is approximately 8,400 fans each. 8,400 fans each day. No tickets are on sale because more than the allowed limit have been sold, and priority will get be given to season ticket holders. Suites are already sold and will have limits. The infield experience will be closed to fans. All entrants will be screened, and masks will be required. So that is for championship weekend this November. Uh, and the final piece of news, which is, I think, one of the biggest pieces of news that is huge and is coming up in about a couple of weeks here, the Arca yep. race scheduled for DeCoin has been rescheduled to Winchester Speedway in Indiana yeah. on September 19th. So finally, I you know, I have I was really sad when uh, Arca the Arca series left Winchester because I've always felt that Winchester and Salem are two of the fastest and best tracks. Short tracks, I should say. Short tracks in the state of Indiana. Uh, plain and simple. I mean, a lot of people love Lucas Oil Raceway, but, dude, Lucas Oil Raceway is hard to pass. Winchester and Salem are where, where the action is. Um, and so I love I love seeing this. I love seeing and Plus, that, that brings us to three races in Indiana for the Arca season, which is really huge. And I think it should stay that way, personally. I think it should stay that way. If you want to add an extra race at Anderson, that'd be cool, too. But... Um, you know, go back to throwback, throwback. I was right. actually watching a race last night while I was going to bed. Uh, the 1999 Arca race at Anderson. It popped up in my YouTube recommend recommended feed, and uh, thankfully it did because I just started watching. Yeah. There you so, go. You know, hey man, give me four races in Indiana for the Arca series, and then you might go back to the glory years. Who knows? I, I, I that's probably not going to happen. But a man can dream. A man can dream. Hey, man. Um. Other other news here, uh, last piece of news here, Willie T. Ribs is the sixth driver confirmed to race in the inaugural Superstar Racing Experience, or SRX. Uh, Ribs joins the series co-founder Tony Stewart, Paul Tracy, Bobby Labonte, Tony Kanan, and Elio Castroneves for next season. So this is essentially going to be, a, uh, you know, 
equivalent to maybe the PGA Champions Tour or, you know, something like the big three in basketball, you know, where a bunch of the older, older retired guys that don't mm-hmm. run every weekend are now going to be competing for everybody's uh, enjoyment. And so this is this is awesome. I'm excited to yeah. see this. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, I just listed that group of people. So you, uh, the group of people, Tony Stewart, Paul Tracy, Bobby Labonte, Tony Kanaan, Elio Castroneves. I mean, think about how many championships, uh, you know, uh, championships, race wins, uh, crown jewel wins uh, in their own respective series that we're talking about here. Uh, yeah. Especially Willie T, who's one of the most prolific black drivers uh, of the 20th century. Uh, mm-hmm. coming out here and essentially making his return to uh, to auto racing, yep. which is which is really cool. I love to see that. So the season will consist of six yet-to-be-announced tracks in a two-hour primetime window, uh, which will be broadcast on CBS Sports. Uh, so yeah. that's you know, great to hear. We're still excited for that. Uh, that's probably the best uh, announcement from all of 2020. Um, Sans, obviously, us being back in 2020. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, Josh, I think since you're leading this week, I think you should take the reins from here. Uh, but we do have some featured paint schemes to talk about. And, uh, what are those featured paint schemes? Well, this week we did, we did, we're doing what we did last year. I think I added another two because of the additional series, but we are going to give our top five 2020 NASCAR throwback paint schemes here on this show. We had a lot of fun with this last year. I mean, there's it's again we had we had another series you had that many mm-hmm. more cars to try to select from um rob you can kind of uh give your opinion on uh the overall field and in in participants before you give your top five um but and i'll, and I'll give mine after you give your top five here so I'll, I'll i'll let you take over here and uh count us down for five to one all right so number five the one that i found was uh I saw this in the broadcast on Saturday, and it took me by most by surprise. I loved it. I didn't even know about this until I saw it. Uh, Alex LeBay's Jackaroo throwback to Phoenix Racing gets comes in at number five for my list. Uh, this one was really – I did not expect this kind of scheme to come around. Uh, now, this is a, a big-time throwback to when Jeff Purvis was racing yes. for uh, Phoenix Racing back in the mm-hmm. mid-'90s. Mm-hmm. Mid-'90s, man. Uh, that's how far back this one's going to – and I loved seeing something like that in the track because I just did not expect to see it. Um, number four coming in is, I think, something that I had I had to pick. Uh, Greg Biffle's Ricky Hendrick throwback. Mm-hmm. Uh, the throwback, first and foremost, to Ricky Hendrick was impressive in and of itself at a Jermaine, uh, excuse me, not Jermaine, GMS racing. And they knocked it out of the park. Yes. They, I'm sad it wasn't number 17. But rubbering at number 24, man, it kind of looked like, okay, it's kind of like his Bush Series car. You know, yeah. you can make it into his Bush Series car. Didn't have the right font, but probably some trademark issues with that. It probably prevented it. But nonetheless, I, I loved it. I, I loved seeing it out there. And Greg Biffle driving it, uh, who I believe was one of the only drivers out there on Sunday in the Truck Series that raced with Ricky Hendrick at the time. Uh, there's yeah. probably some other old drivers, but Biffle was – you know, probably one of the only drivers that's still racing right now uh, that raced with Ricky Hendricks. So that was pretty. Which made it more uh, special. It did make it more special, I think. Um, and so number three for me is uh, mm-hmm. one that I don't think anybody talked about. Nobody. I heard nobody talk about this car. And a lot of it is because, you know, it's, it's kind of a back marker in the Xfinity series. But Chad Fincham's Jerry Nadu throwback, the number 13 uh, first unit or what is it? First plus or something. 
that Jerry Nadu drove back in, in for uh, Dan Marino's team. Dan yeah. Marino, Hall of Fame quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, briefly co-owned a team in NASCAR with Jerry Nadu, and it was number 13, just like uh, Marino wore in the NFL. And, uh, and so Chad Fitchum kind of just did, and, and this was like a one-to-one scale. I mean, Sands having the original uh, sponsors, I mean, the number mm-hmm. font was the same, the entire makeup of the thing. I think the only thing that was wrong was, like I said, the sponsors, and I think it, since it wasn't a Ford, it was a Toyota. But my goodness, was this one of the best-looking schemes? I loved it. I'm so sad that it couldn't. it only ran up front when it was getting the wave around. What do you have to say? It was, Josh? El- it was Elliot Marino Racing. Elliot so, Marino Racing. Yeah. Okay. I knew I knew he co-owned the team. I just couldn't remember who he co-owned the team with. Yeah. Um, but man, that was a good one. Um, so coming in at number two uh, is one that I don't. I, you know, I understand why people didn't pick a lot, but gosh, I wish Jimmy Johnson drove this car more in, la- in last season. Uh, but Alex Bowman's Jimmy Johnson 2006 throwback. Now this. Period is always going to be one of my favorite cars. Like, I think when Jimmy Johnson made the switch from the 2005 car that he had been running for the last couple the, for the previous season to this 2006 car, and he ran it like in the last few races of 2005 as well. But man, did I love this car, and man, did I, I miss seeing it. Now, the 2009 one from Chase Elliott was in no way, shape, or form a bad scheme, and it was really me going back and forth between that one and uh, Bowman's. But I just loved this one more because when I saw it, when I saw them take the green flag and I saw that car out front, it, it, it made me, it got me goosebumps. It kind of took me back to a simpler time, you know, 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was really happy to see that. So, you know, for, for me, this was just kind of a sentimental one that I picked. Uh, there were other ones that were so close to making this number two choice, but I, I just went with this one because it was a sentimental one. It made me feel good. Um, and I like to see it out there on the track. And I wish that Johnson had ran it more uh, last season when he, or two seasons ago when he still had lows on the car. But, hey, man, what are you going to do? Uh, and finally, my number one pick is the yeah. only John Andretti throwback. This is the problem. This is the biggest problem I saw. Why was this the only John Andretti throwback in the field? I mean, I understand, yes, we're paying tribute to Jimmy Johnson. This is his final season. But why was this the only John Andretti throwback? I feel like. We got gypped. We should have had more John Andretti throwbacks. Daniel Hemrick drove a John Andretti throwback to when he drove for uh, the Cranifisk team, the number mm-hmm. 34 Little Caesars Kmart car. Now, I'm so sad that the Jayski uh, pictures that I looked this up on only had pictures of when it crashed, after it crashed on the first couple of laps there. But before it hit the wall, it was simply put one of the most beautiful cars in the Xfinity series, in the, in the Xfinity uh grid that day and i just loved seeing it out there but i mainly wanted to express my disappointment for a lack of john andretti throwbacks i mean i feel like we lost john andretti this season this year it was a really unfortunate loss we all pulled for him to beat uh the colon cancer that he had and i still wear my check it for andretti shirt as often as i can um but man hey props to daniel hamrick for being the only guy that remembered Hey man, we should pay tribute to John Andretti this season because this was just a great looking paint scheme uh, back then and even now. Uh, even when it was all tore up, it still looked good. So, you know, that's why it gets my number one. Josh, you should tell me all about your top five because 
you picked some in here that I wanted to pick, and that's why I asked you, give me yours first, because I don't want to pick any ones that you've already picked, because your number three and number two were definitely on my initial provisional list. Well, yours are all great, too. I mean, uh, yeah, just just fantastic. I think we have if, – if we don't have the top ten, we have the top, ten of the top 15. Oh, absolutely. Um, I did want to note here, I was I was disappointed in two, two organizations. Uh, I really wanted to see an Adam Petty 2000 Sprint PCS throwback. I get it that you had a cash app for this race, and they went with one that definitely color – coordinated with the sponsor um so, so i mean they got that right and i was kind of just oh. sorry someone pointed out on on reddit that even mcdonald's missed an opportunity to yes. throw back to the last time matt kenseth throw a mcdonald's car that was my next point it was was kind of a double-edged one for for chip i'm like chip didn't have any okay mm-hmm. I, I, again i'll point out rick mast and skull for monster energy and kurt bush and disappointed we didn't see Kenny, Kenny Owen Jr. Even in a mismatch color scheme for the Bell South 2000 car. But even more so, Matt Kenseth's first start was with McDonald's and Bill Elliott when he was subbing. Hello. What the heck is going on? So, okay, that was that was my little thing. And also Andy Houston, 2001, just throwing that out there. Um, PPI Motorsports for, all, for, for, for any of you who... Don't remember that car. He shut down midseason. Now I get into my top five. There was my little rant. Uh, my first one, Jimmy Johnson's double honor for Dale for Dale Earnhardt and, and Richard Petty. I just think this was so creative. It wasn't a true throwback paint scheme in the sense that it one that was has actually been run, but it was a tribute. And and that's kind of what throwbacks weekend is. It's a tribute. You know, Daniel Hemmerich's paint scheme, tribute to John Andretti. Um, so this was just cre- so creative. I, I liked how the, the only, only thing that resembled Jimmy Johnson was the 48. Other than that, it was Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty. Obviously the ally kind of, you know, stepped into the STP kind of look a little bit too. So it was just great. Well put together. And, uh, he stuck at seven championships and, uh, for, for, I, for, for a car, uh, he was driving around with 21 championships that day um, on, on Sunday evening. So very cool there. Kyle Busch's uh, M&M's Toyota honoring Elliott Sadler's car from 2004. A lot of people misquoted it as 2003. It was 2004. Um, but the thing that really got me on this is that they changed the font of the number. That was the zinger to me. I'm like, yep, automatic, great-looking car. And I kind of hope next year – if M&M's is there again, let's do a Kenny Schrader one from 2001 or, or two or something like that. All right. We got to have that car in here at some point. Uh, number three, Derek Krause's Bill McAnally's. Uh, number 19, honoring Ron Hornaday's number 16, Napa Chevy. Obviously, this one was just kind of a meant to be. All right. Instantly, when you think of, okay, the trucks are going to Darlington throwback weekend, you got to do this paint scheme. And it even works better because all you got to do is flip the six to the nine. You know, flip it upside down. It was perfect, great-looking car. I love how he had the matching fire suit as well. Um, you know, and it just brings back to a simpler time. You know, as you said, the truck series, you know, in, in the 90s. Uh, number two, Michael and Nancy Jr. Motorsports. Number one, Oreo for Junior's uh, 02. Oreo, number three Chevy that he won with at Daytona in the season opener. It's just so great when you can get the sponsor on board as well, you can, even if it's just a one-race deal. 
and you can go out there because they did. Uh, um, Justin Haley did this with uh, Ray Bestis, I think it was last year. Uh, and then, um, you know, Michael Annette went out there last year again and got baby Ruth. I mean, so again, when you get out there and you go and get, get the actual sponsor, that just, that's just perfect. And then finally, I just think this one was, it was quintessential Darlington to me. And this is Darlington throwback. Like this is the standard you want to shoot for. And thank goodness that NASCAR, um, that Dale Earnhardt Jr. reminded me on his podcast has relaxed some of the things you can do to your car, such as like reflective numbers and stuff. Um, Ross Chastain, Spire Motorsports, number 77, uh, honoring Dale Earnhardt's uh, 1976 high gain 77 Chevy. They even went, Dirty Mo Media sponsored the car, but they even went as far as no sponsor on the hood of the car because there wasn't a sponsor on the hood that day when when Senior ran it. So this to me, like, they nailed it. Awesome job. Uh, but man, a lot, of, a lot of great paint schemes. Now, everyone participated. I, I, I'll i chalk that up to, you know, we didn't know if we, this was going to happen and, and COVID coming, or, and coming around and causing issues and sponsors wanting to have, you know, their actual stuff out there. Um, was really hoping that Colleg would come out there and do some stuff. Team Penske as well with, with Austin Sindrick. Um, I think they could have had a couple interesting paint schemes for him with the with, uh, with money line, even if it was mismatched colors, um, but still, um, I thought a good Rusty Wallace throwback from 2005 would have been a good good one for him, even if it was again mismatched colors. But anyways, that was our that was our um, yeah uh, uh, that was our featured paint scheme for the yeah. week. Uh, yeah. And I wanted I just said this yeah, breaking gosh. thing here, huge breaking news. Uh, from Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi that literally broke while Josh was giving us that his featured paint scheme. So 12.46 p.m. Breaking news, NASCAR is planning to transform Auto Club Speedway into a half-mile short track the Athletic has learned. Huh. I, wow. I have no honest explanation on this. Josh, but since you have an Athletic article, I'm going to have you... I'm going to ask if you can read this real quick while I yeah. run through... This week's winners, and if yeah. you can give us a, some bullet points on on how this is going, uh, that would be great. But I'm going to go through this week's winners while Josh has a chance to read that if he's willing to <laughs> for a quick yeah, second. I, 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 yeah, I got to read it off my phone here, but I, I can I can read it. For you. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about this week's winners uh, while Josh goes ahead and reads reads that because this is some crazy breaking news that I don't think we've ever seen. Uh, on this show before, uh, it's very seldom that we get to talk about breaking news as it happens uh, on the podcast, but here we are. Uh, so the Arkham Menard Series had their first ever race at uh, the I-44 Lebanon Speedway, which produced quite an interesting race. Uh, Sam Mayer ended up winning that race, but for all intents and purposes, it was an excellent Arca race, despite only 14 cars showing up and only seven cars really remaining on the lead lap most of the day. Uh, that was probably one of the most disappointing aspects of it. But, hey, it put on a really good show, and you had a lot of rubbins racing between uh, the two monster cars, Haley, Deegan, and Ty Gibbs. Uh, Deegan even led a little bit there, but, you know, she just being a little bit too aggressive here and there. Well, you know, we could talk about that later, but, you know, sometimes on a short track, how aggressive do you want to be is always the question. So uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Darlington was won by Brandon Jones in, a, in an incredible last, uh, last lap turn of events. Uh, when Ross Chastain and Denny Hamlin got together, 
the Formula One at Monza was what else can you say about it other than it was quite honestly one of the most fantastic races in Formula One that I think we've seen in quite some time. Uh, mainly because what happened? Well, we eliminated the Mercedes, the Red Bulls, and the Ferraris. Um, and what happens when you take those away? You get a midfield battle of epic proportions. And to be honest with you, I was blown away by just how entertained I was. Um, and speaking of uh, the Monza races, we had even more entertaining races in Monza in the Formula 2 and Formula 3 races. Um, so in Formula 3, the feature winner was Frederick Vesti, uh, and the sprint winner was Jake Hughes. Now, I want to talk about something about this here real quick. While Josh is continuing to read this, uh, the uh, so we talked about Logan Sargent being in the title hunt for this race. Well, something went wrong in Monza. Well, he he started fifth after a series of grid penalties for everybody else. He originally qualified tenth, but he started fifth, and uh, Sargent just got a dismal day. The engine just was not fast enough. He was a fast man. In fact, Prema as a whole was struggling, uh, and he was back there. He was battling with some of his teammates. Um, Frederick Vesti was probably the, obviously the Prema that was, you know, light and day, night and day ahead of everybody else. But Piastri and Sargent, the two championship contenders, were basically battling the whole time. Um, and then Clement Novelak gets into Logan Sargent, spins him around. Um, and at that point, I shut the race. I shut the race off, to be honest with you. I shut, shut the race off. I was just like, well, this is stupid now. So, but, and I didn't even bother to tune in for the F3 race, the, the sprint race. I didn't, honest to, honest with you, I didn't even bother to tune in for it or even watch it because I was just so frustrated. But we have the last race of the season going into Mugello here. And the points battle is still tight. Now, Logan Sargent does not have the points lead. But uh, Oscar Piastri did also DNF'd in the sprint race. Sargent as well DNF'd. I, again, like I said, I didn't watch the race races, so I don't know what happened. But I do know that both of them DNF'd, which means that Piastri was not able to gain any more points on Sargent, and Sargent wasn't able to gain any ground on Piastri. So, essentially, the championship will be decided in Formula 3 going into Mugello. So if Sargent, as long as Sargent can finish in front of Piastri, I think he'll be good to go on this. But I did find out, interesting fun fact, is I did find out over the weekend that he currently could amount to roughly, I think, 38 super license points after this race is, after this season is over. If he wins a championship. If he wins a championship. Um, even if he doesn't, he'll still have a number of super license points. He'll probably be back for 20, for the next year's Formula 3. But, you know, I do I do still firmly believe that uh, people like Haas need to be taking a look at him. Um, so Formula 2 is in Monza as well. Feature race winner was Mick Schumacher winning his first Formula 2 race of the season and coming even closer into potentially grabbing the Formula 2 points champion, points lead. because So he is now third place. There's a bunch more races left to go in Formula 2. Formula 3 is ending in Mugello, but Formula 2 is going to keep going to Sochi and Bahrain. Um, so those that, that season is going to continue all, well, all the way into uh, probably December. Um, but uh, Mick Schumacher won his first race of the season, so he's now within striking distance of the championship. Uh, the sprint race was originally won by Dan Tictum, but after his team was unable to provide a sufficient fuel sample, uh, he was disqualified, and the race was given to Callum Island. Uh, so probably Tickdom's not, not not too happy about that one, especially after what happened last week uh, when he collided with Roy Nassani and pretty much ruined any chance he had at winning the race. Um, and now he's blown his race again. So Tickdom, man, you know what? I know, I know there's a lot of people who don't like Dan Tickdom, and I get it. 
So I don't really think there's a lot of people feeling all that bad for him. But at the same time, it kind of wasn't his fault. He got disqualified here. It was more of his team's fault. But what are you going to do? Um, let's go into Supercars of Townsville. Uh, great racing. Again, all over the place in Supercars. We had some fantastic racing. Now, these races are on. Yes, I admit they are on late at night. But um, they're not like super late. You know, 10 o'clock midnight. It's not like 4 a.m. when like. F3 comes on, so I don't feel as bad watching these, but race one was run by Scott McLaughlin, and then races two and three were swept by Shane Van Gisbergen, uh, so McLaughlin still does have a substantial lead in the points uh, standings, which is, again, to be expected, because McLaughlin is, is definitely high, uh, uh, definitely one of the best drivers in supercars right now, and, you know, I've heard that he's apparently could also get another shot at IndyCar, uh, next month at the Harvest Grand Prix, which would be interesting to see. But SVG beat him in race two and three. Uh, and, and McLaughlin wasn't too happy because uh, Red Bull Holden decided to do a little bit of team orders there. They wanted to get SVG uh, the win, but they wanted to get Wincup, Jamie Wincup, more points than McLaughlin. So they essentially did a team orders thing so that Van Gisbergen was win, and then McLaughlin was be able to pass, uh, would be able to pass, uh, excuse me, so that Wincup would be able to pass McLaughlin. Uh, McLaughlin didn't take too kindly of that. He was very critical about it post-race. But, you know, hey, dude, you just got outbeat. All you had to do was stay in front of Wincup. And the fact of the matter is he could not stay in front of Wincup. Um, so, really, he's only got himself to blame, in my opinion. That's how I saw the race happen, but I'll go with that. Uh, NASCAR Gander RV's out truck series. An RV, Gander, NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors truck series. So, that's weird to say. It does not roll off the tongue very well. Uh, at Darlington was won by Ben Rhodes. So the first time the Truck Series returns to Darlington since 2011, which, who won that race? Casey Kane did. Um, ben Rhodes won that race. So a huge win for him. Definitely something that he needed going into the playoffs. Uh, and then NASCAR Cup Series at Darlington. Kevin Harvick essentially inherits the win, uh, much like Brandon Jones did in the Xfinity Series at race at Darlington. Uh, so we had some guys inheriting the wins here. Um, and so Kevin Harvick ends up inheriting the win uh, at the Cup Series Southern 500 at Darlington, the Cookout Southern 500, which is unfortunately still a place I have never been to, but Josh has. Um, so, Josh, uh, that is our week's winners. Yeah. I hope that uh, I've given you ample time now yeah. to read through this article, this crazy article. So I want to talk about it a little bit, this breaking news article. What yeah. can you tell us about what NASCAR is going to do to Auto Club Speedway? Okay, so this plan is actually being called Next Gen in California. Okay. All right. Uh, the, uh, track would have a long straight. There's actually, if you have the, I, I've screenshotted, I will send it to you so you can see it. But, uh, if you have the athletic and, and it, there's a picture and a diagram of what they're going to do. Um, it's going to look like Martinsville, but they're going to use part of the existing front stretch at Fontana. So there's going to be slight kink or curve curvature. Uh, like Richmond, but not as prominent as Richmond. Um, and they're going to have high banks like Bristol. So this is going to be a, you know, a, four, a fourth very distinct, different-looking short track. Uh, this is partly to do uh, reduction of property size. Remember we talked about the Hillwood Estate, uh, or Hillwood Developing Company? So this is reducing the size of the footprint at the location uh, on the property, right? So they can sell some of it off because big track. How many acres does that cover? You turn it into a short track, it's less. Um, 
Craig uh, Neeb, NASCAR Executive Vice President and Chief Innovation Officer, did confirm the plan to the athletics. So this is happening, and 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 is, uh, but he said it's still in the early process, and the target is for 2023. So, and they the plan isn't to have Auto Club Speedway drop off the schedule either. Um, so they want to like say run a race in March, and come back around and race there again in a year. That's a lot to do. They want to use some of the existing grandstand that is there. Some of it won't be needed, but they will build more grandstands around it. And uh, uh, that's kind of that. That's that's the big bullet points on it too. Uh, comparatively, you know, Daytona. Remember Daytona Rising? That was four hundred million dollars. Uh, Phoenix was one hundred and seventy-eight million dollars when they just did that a few years ago. Um, so yeah, this is kind of exciting uh, news here. Uh, I can't believe it. I've said we've said for a while we've needed a short track on the West Coast. That's the biggest thing, and I've thrown out Kern County a lot. Well, NASCAR just kind of doubled down and and said, "Look, we were all concerned back in the spring when we saw Auto Club in Chicagoland up on the development, uh, you know, sites that that NASCAR could be selling off." And like, hold on, you know, some of these places don't have a racetrack, but these two are big ones. Chicagoland's obviously still in question. We can maybe expect a street course there. You know, that's kind of the way industry people are thinking. But here, NASCAR had a completely different idea. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the big deal here. We'll 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 uh, Rob, what are you thinking right now? Because I I'm kind of excited to see this long straight a back stretch like a Martinsville high banks with Bristol and a little kink on the front stretch. So I'm curious. I'm I'm curious to see the final product, but I think the first thing that I see this to me is you know this is kind of a big bummer because Auto Club has traditionally been one of the biggest two mile ovals, uh, and and arguably one of the most exciting. I I know a lot of that is due to the track surface, and the track surface is probably going would have had to be resurfaced at some point, and that probably would have killed the racing at it unless NASCAR fix the package um which is still a toss-up at this point um but i am just so surprised here that they're doing it with auto club and and it it disappoints me a little bit because i do like the it disappoints me a lot because i still really had high hopes that indycar could return to the track yeah and 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 i think now that this this kind of officially ends any opportunity that that will ever happen again um, and that's disappointing to me, but you know, there's always Michigan and, and I could actually go to Michigan, which again, you know, works out great for me, but for those fans out there on the West coast that, you know, probably are not going to be able to see an IndyCar oval race, uh, ever again. It, yeah. It's kind of disappointing. It's kind of disappointing, but you know, uh, I'm interested to see, I, I'll, I'll have to wait. I don't want to be. I don't want to formulate an opinion, uh, an emotional opinion, I should say, uh, too soon before I see what this does and before I see whether or not this is going to work out. But, you know, I've just always viewed California Speedway, Auto Club Speedway as being, you know, the big track in the West Coast, you know, that, you know, I wouldn't call it the Indianapolis of the West, but, you know, there were definitely, yeah, that was Ontario, but there were times where, you know, it could be considered something mm-hmm. close. Like it, it, yeah. it, it brought back in some cases, Ontario vibes. Um, yeah. It is disappointing for sure. Uh, 
but I don't see them building another track, you know, just straight up building another track, acquiring property, doing that. It's tough enough to do that. And I'm sure this process, however, I don't see them releasing this unless they feel like they, it can, it has strong footing with the area. Mm-hmm. Um, so but we, we, we do need a short track on the West coast. So now you're going to have a road course. You're going to have an intermediate. You're going to have a short intermediate. Now you're going to have a short track. You know, that our speedway and intermediate and, and a short track, if you want to award it that way. And that's that's what the big thing's been missing. This is another answer to having another short track. It I agree. I I've sad to see Auto Club go. I love Auto Club. I've never complained about the racing there. I agree. It's gonna be sad that IndyCar won't be able to go there. Uh again. Interesting to hear Roger Penske's thoughts because this was his track. He built this track. Um and uh so yeah, yeah. I well, we can talk about this more on, a, on, a, on another show, too. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be more things to talk about as, as the days progress, even into next week. So, But we should probably move on here. We uh, The top takeaways here, uh, let's talk about the F1 first. Obviously, first off, Ferrari. <laughs> Struggling. That was bad. Oh, just a ter- terrible deal there. But Vettel has a brake issue. He retires. Okay. Then yeah, you that's have not what the, you want to lose your brakes at Monza. Yeah, yeah. You don't want that. That that's a bad thing. Um, but the big deal that happened here, the big turning points race is when Magnuson's car fails and he pulls over to the side and it's right by the, the pit lane entrance. Pit road is closed because it's a safety hazard with the with the marshals and and even Magnuson. I love how Magnuson was just sitting there steering. He wasn't pushing. Yeah, he, he didn't even help push the. Yeah, like, come on, dude, push the car. Um, but uh, the pit road's closed. Hamilton and Mercedes like, okay, we can get a quick pit stop here and 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 get that out of the way. Well, pit road was closed. Yeah, when was the last time you heard pit road was closed in F one? Okay, that's fair to them, but there was two signs out on the track that that uh, you know electronic signs that said it was closed. It went across the p- computer screen, and the forty four team at Mercedes and Antonio Giovinazzi were the only two teams that didn't get the message. Well, what happens after the red f- flag for a uh, Charles Leclerc clash crash? Well, he's got a he's got a penalty. He's got to serve a ten second stop and go after the restart from the red flag, and it looked like Lance Stroll's race. Like Lance Stroll, this is yours to win. And then Lance Stroll, I don't even know, bungles the restart. And but it was Pierre Gasly who got the heck of a restart that got the second. And you're like, he is in the control now because Hamilton's going to pit this lap. And wow. However, I will admit, I was kind of, I was hoping to see a good run from signs and, and like just, just get up there and take it. But you got to feel good for Pierre Gasly, who obviously has been beating Albon this year. Uh, but not to all Albon's issue. He's also had some horrible pit strategy from his team. But still, someone even been out running him in general. Um, but then, you know getting that revenge on, on a, on a year ago, like a lot of people pointed out, he was kind of on a, on a low spot. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that race immensely. I enjoyed it. Great. It was great. You know, I think that, uh, I had, I, I think some, something that caught me by this F1 race by surprise. And I think we were talking about it earlier and I want to go back to this, the, the pit road issue with Hamilton. 
was this this was I mean people could blame Hamilton all they want for not seeing this, but this was also on the team. The team should have known oh, yeah. that the, pit, the pit pits were closed. And the thing about it is when they still tell him to box and he's in the pit late, if they tell him quickly, rapidly, okay, don't box, you know, don't get get out of there. And he's already in pit lane and he he bails, you know, to a, to use a NASCAR uh to use a NASCAR analogy, missing the commitment cone. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe I believe that the worst thing that would happen there is, especially in a restart, is getting sent to the back of the, the back of the grid. Right. And restarting the back of the grid. I believe. I, I believe right. that that is a penalty. Now, I'm not sure. I don't believe that it is a time penalty or a stop-go penalty like Hamilton had. It happened in Germany last year. Yes, uh, that's he, what I was thinking of. Illegally entered pit road. He still entered it. Mm-hmm. And he had to go to the back on a restart. Right. So what I'm thinking here is even if they had – the Hamilton really screwed the pooch. Was, was they, if they told him, hey, pits are closed, bail, and he just bailed, and he got a penalty for bailing and missing the commitment cone. We'll just say that right now because there's really yeah, no other way to up. say it. Um, it would have bode better, went better for him because he would have just restarted at the at the back of the grid, which meant he had ever all that time to make his make up spots on on the restart. Whereas having to restart the race, then come in, serve a ten second stop go. That's mm-hmm. what really set him back. I mean. Yep. We're talking the differences between a podium and what he ultimately got, which was seventh. Mm-hmm. You know, there. I mean, he very well easily could have had a podium there, but the, the the crew made the wrong call and pitted him anyway instead of having him bail out of it. So that's just my my feeling on that is that you know ultimately the crew made the wrong call. Not necessarily. I don't think you can blame Hamilton. I, I think can't I'm blame going to blame Hamilton, on the, blame the crew a little bit more. His team for not tell for first of all telling you to box and then sticking with it. When they could have said, hey, bail, screw it. The penalty, if we do this, is worse than if we just bail out at the last minute. Uh, that's that's what that's my thought process, at least. I mean, I, I feel agree. like Hamilton definitely had an opportunity to at least, at the very least, pass Lance Stroll, who also, by the way, botched that race. Now, I also want to keep a, talk about something about Lance Stroll here, and I want to do this as one of my last pieces here before we move on. Um, this could be very important for Lance Stroll because right now, as of right now, this would mean he, he scored a podium before Perez did. And this could be very integral because per, while Perez seems confident in his race seat for next season, mm-hmm. Stroll has said, you know, hey, man, anything can happen in racing. I'm not exactly super confident that I'm going to have a contract here next season. You know, Stroll, despite the fact that his dad owns the team, is not confident that nepotism is still going to play face. If he gets Sebastian Vettel, you know, I'm just saying, who are you going to pick between Stroll and Vettel? You're going to pick Vettel every time because Vettel's got four world championships under his belt and Stroll has two podiums. But yeah. those two podiums are in, are key because that podium this year means that he's finished on the podium before Perez has. So if anybody, when they go, when they go back at the end of the season and they decide, what are we going to do for next year? Who are we going to sign? Who are we going to keep? That's, that podium is probably going to help Stroll more than it's going to hurt him in that evaluation. So yeah. I think... If Stroll is re-signed and Perez is not, in that case, I don't want people to think necessarily that it's based on nepotism. While, yes, that probably plays into some part of it, I think a lot of it can be pointed to situations like this race where Stroll still managed to finish on the podium despite the fact that, yes, he probably easily could have won that had he not botched uh, going into, what what was that, uh, the third turn chicane. Um, 
he could have very well easily won that, and he also got a terrible restart. I mean, just yeah, got that was off a the horrendous line. restart. Oh, it was just awful. So yeah, he botched the race, but he still finished third. He still finished on the podium, which is something that Perez has not, not been able to see say this season. He's mm-hmm. come close. He's finished fourth, but he's just not been there. Both these guys should maybe have two or three podiums by this point mm-hmm. if their pitch strategy calls weren't as bad as they are, too. Uh, but, yeah, I agree 100% with what you said there, and I won't I won't say any more for the sake of time. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Xfinity Series. Um, I mean, obviously, this was a fun race to watch. I mean, again, Darlington just puts on great shows. Just put on three great shows this weekend. I tweeted this. I said, "When are we going to kill the second Kansas race for another for the uh, Darlington to get re- a back a race on Mother's Day?" I think we'll I think we'll be talking about that in a little bit later in the upshift downshift segment in a little bit. Um, Good, something similar to that, anyways. <laughs> um, but the big thing here was, well, let's 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 let's, let's talk about this real quick. Brandon Jones. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, Brandon Brown oh, widens his 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 lead on Jeremy Clements a little bit on the on the cutoff line. That's big. They have three races left, two Richmond races, uh, and and uh, Bristol, and that's it for the Xfinity Series. So uh, for the regular season, so that's kind of a big point there. Both had issues. A day that Jeremy Clements could have uh, or. Uh, could have really had a bad day. They both had bad days. So that was unfortunate there. But the big thing here, Denny Hamlin's Hail Mary. Unlike someone else the next day, he did it at the right time. Okay. Um, but my goodness, that he tried it. And then it was a horrible timing because then Ross Chastain can't get slowed down, can't turn down, runs into the back of him, actually hit the wall trying to break it looked like he hit the brakes and just went into the wall and then brandon jones gets by and then nbc follows brandon jones like split screen please i want to see what happens between the 54 and the 10 and the only thing we get is like ross chastain showed his displeasure with him going into turn three rocks finished the second with the damaged car they had such a lead on everybody else he still finished the second um and then hamlin finishes fifth good news is hamlin passed inspection this time so that was good um, but, uh, I didn't think there was any room to be upset by either, either on that, on that particular one. I think when we get start, start talking to the cup cup series, yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. There's something to be upset about. But, uh, I think when we're talking about the Xfinity series race, I think Chastain and Hamlin both were kind of like, it's a racing deal. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. But I think as soon as Chastain knew that he was going to, Chastain had to know he was going to throw the slide job on him. Oh, yes. And and you could clearly tell he tried to get down low and pass him, and he probably would have had the chance. The problem is he initiated the move too late, and he caught Hamlin's rear bumper right at the last minute when he tried to make the move. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to go ahead out, out on a limb there and say I don't really think either driver had anything to be too upset about. First and foremost, you know, yeah, Ross is kind of running for a championship here, but Hamlin isn't. So Hamlin doesn't really have anything to be all that upset about. Uh, if yeah. anything, Ross probably has some more to be upset about. But it's not like he lost a whole ton of points. Where did he still finish third? Second. Right? Yeah, second. second. Okay. Second. So why is he mad? Big, the, the biggest thing here is that Denny Hamlin raced him clean. Yeah, and he, did. he was. And he was. And he was aware. Look, the ten car is running for a championship. Mm-hmm. I need. If I'm going to get around him, I need to get around him as clean as possible, if not 100% clean. And he did that 
And but when Ross didn't get off a turn too well, gets a run on on him down the back stretch there at Darlington, makes the dive into three, doesn't stick, doesn't go the way he wanted it to. That was the right move for Hamlin. If he backs out, he loses all that momentum and he, and he doesn't win that race. Ross does. Um, and he maybe even gets passed by Brandon Jones because Brandon Jones was right there too. Um, so, but that was the thing that, that a lot of people, I, I think, maybe sort of missed a little bit was that uh, Denny Hamlin, I was just about Kyle Busch at 54, but Denny Hamlin raced him clean. And he gave him the respect like, hey, you give me respect on Sunday when you're in the 77 car. I'm going to give you respect here as well. So that was good. Good to see there. But again, a great, exciting finish all around. So, you know, you talk about Andretti, just a throwback scheme, disappointing. Daniel Hamrick, the, but here's a good thing to remember about Daniel Hamrick in that 18. When Hamrick's in the car and they don't have an issue taking out Indianapolis and Daytona from last week, they're in the top 10. So that it's not, and these issues all haven't been Daniel Hamrick's fault, fault. Cause that issue on Saturday was not his doing. He was a victim of Anthony Alfredo's mistake. So, important key there. No, I don't think owners are listening, but Daniel Hamrick definitely is the results don't tell the whole story. All right, for the truck series, because of time, we're just going to kind of breeze over it. Ben Rhodes steals the win from Derek Krause, who desperately needed the win. Ben Rhodes didn't necessarily need it um, because now with one race remaining, because next week is the final race. Actually, it's this week. It's two days from now. Thursday night. Thunder from Richmond Raceway, Thursday night NASCAR, everybody, TNN. Um, because eight of the ten spots are locked in either via wins or points. So Tyler Ankrum is plus 14. Todd Gillen is plus 10 over Derek Krause. And those are the only guys who are mathematically able to point their way in. Everybody else has to win. So that includes Rafael Assard, who I don't think is going to win. Tanner Gray, I don't think is going to win. Stuart Friesen, I don't think is going to win. And Johnny Sauter, you never know. <laughs> so it's going to be fun to watch these three youngsters. And Todd Gillen is still, you know, he if he misses, he's going to immediately go to Sheldon Creed. And you'll be like, dude, what the heck? Two weeks two, two, two weeks later or three weeks later, two weeks later, and, and say, you, you screwed me, man. But Derek Krause, he's also thinking second place. Ugh. And he had a couple good runs this year that went sour as well. He's thinking about missed points and missed opportunities. Um, and, and then, of course, Tyler Ankrum has just kind of been the fifth, literally the fifth car at GMS. Yet there's a car that's a truck, I should say, that's running part time that has outrun him, unfortunately. Um, I'm excited for Richmond. Are you? I am always excited for a good old fashioned Richmond cutoff date. Anytime you get Richmond to be the cutoff date again uh, for the playoffs, I'm happy. So to see the truck series cut that cut them off here, I, I'm I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty excited to see what will happen. All right, yeah, I am too. Going to be a fun Thursday night, and I'm off, so I get to watch it. Yes, uh, watch it live. I should say. There you uh, go. As it as it as it as it unfurls. So with Cup though, um, Penske struggled, and then it looked like there was going to be a, a Logano was going to struggle. Because Blaney already had a 10-point penalty going in. That's not what you – welcome to the playoffs. Here's a 10-point yeah. penalty. All right. Uh, mistake. They owned it. NASCAR can't say, well, we get your intent. We get, understand it probably was a mistake, but that's not relevant. It was here. It was a mistake. It happened. Ten points are taken away. Then Kaz, Kozlowski hits the wall, has a horrible day. Um, and then Logano 
but rallies to finish third after getting rear-ended by Corey LaJoy on a restart that was absolutely a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, Hendrick cars ran up front, probably the best race for all four cars, non-plate racing since June, early June, maybe. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the slide job that, that failed. For a Saturday, Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain executed it well. Martin Truex Jr. had a run into turn one. Thought he was clear, wasn't. Um, uh, I think uh, as as a uh, Marty Snyder put put it, Chase Elliott said, "You weren't clear, expletive." Don't know what that expletive was, but he wasn't happy with with, with MTJ. And Harvick was five seconds back at this time, so there wasn't like it was. It was fifteen to go. You make this move fifteen to go. Chase Elliott though did say when he ran to turn twenty four, which I don't. When I I saw the interview beforehand, and I'm like. When I was watching, they went back and watched the race because I was at work when the race went on. Uh, why did you go low? You were running high. You were making good time in three and four. What and, and, and then again in one and two, you were balancing it out. Why would you go low? I get his point. He's thinking, man, is he setting me up? Is he setting me up? He kind of did in a way, though. He he kind of made Elliot outsmart himself. And then he gets a run in. But then Martin Church Jr. wasn't clear and takes them both out. And it ultimately harms it harms both of them a lot uh, because you number of lost points. Martin Truex's junior saving grace was that he won both stages and got twenty points mm-hmm. uh, on the day. Elliott didn't get stage points in stage two. Um, but man, I I tell you, the Truex th- thought that here's the thing that got me though, and this goes back to Truex. Like to me, like this doesn't help Truex's. I don't want people racing me. Are you know issue. He thought the nine would give him the position. Yeah, with 15 laps into the race, into the race, Elliott will give you that position. Yeah, he's right? just going to let off the gas and just let you pass him. And yeah, lose. With, with especially go, when momentum is so important in NASCAR nowadays. Like the only way you could pass anybody is if you have enough momentum because you have to take a different line on the outside and carry that momentum. You, you can't, you know, that's the thing. Like, it's not like Formula One. It's not like the Xfinity Series. It's not like IndyCar. It's not like where you could just drive the the, the lap a little bit different and mm-hmm. try and pick up a tent here, tent there in order to catch the driver. You quite literally have to change your racing line, even if it's slower, and hope that you get more momentum off the top of the racetrack in order to catch the guy. So essentially what Truex is saying is he expected Chase to just give up. Would you like with 15, 15 laps into the race, lap 15? Yeah, Chase is going to yield that position because there's a long way to go. Yeah, <laughs> with 15 laps to go, and you and Chase knew Martin Truex Jr. probably had the better car, but he was able to hold him off earlier in the race. Mm-hmm. And he thought, I can hold him off for 14 more laps. And he kind of was doing a good job of holding him off. He didn't make the move down and turn three and four like he did. He might win that race. Um, or at least he makes it go longer into into the run where you know they don't have an issue. But yeah, he's not going to yield the position, Martin. What? No driver is not Chase, not Kevin, not Quinn Half, not in the playoffs either. Especially yes, not in the playoffs when winning it matters more than finishing second. And you're racing a guy who's had more wins taken away from him this year. Yeah, than than anyone. So. Uh, no, and it's and it's for the Southern 500, the oldest marquee race and crown jewel event of the year. You're you want to win this race, Martin. You've won it. You know what that feels like. Chase has watched you win it. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I'm, I'm, I saw that. I'm like, are you serious? Is she serious right now? I had, I had to listen to it again just to make sure my ears didn't lie to me. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. So, anyways, let's that Austin Dillon too. Congratulations, to Austin Dillon, oh, for going out there and showing everyone like, hey, I'm here. And uh, totally forgot that guy who was in contention to win that race. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think they were concentrating on the nine and the nineteen, and then they kind of talked about the four. But I'm watching the race. I'm like the three's right behind the four right now. The three's coming. He's lapping pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm like look. So that was that. That was that. Good for him. Harvick wins, so he gets two out of the three Darlington race wins this year. Good for him. He's, he's quite the racer at Darlington. Didn't have the best car on Sunday night, but he had a good run. So with Richmond and Bristol to go, let's kind of look at the tight tight gap here. So because of the issues, Chase Elliott is plus twelve. Austin Dillon is plus ten with his good day. William Byron's plus nine. Kyle Busch is plus seven. Kurt Busch is plus four. Eric Almirola has is is tied with Clint Boyer for 12th, but he gets the benefit of the doubt uh, based off of the, I think it was the playoff, original playoff standing. Playoff position. seating or playoff seating. points? Seating. seating. Okay. Or seating. playoff points, yeah. Okay, so there so you go. Yeah. Uh, so Boyer's the first one out, still tied with Eric Almirola. Cole Custer's three out, and then uh, Matt Benedetto and Ryan Blanier are back 17 apiece. They had horrible races. I'm so sorry for them. That's never the way you want to start. But Blaney is going to have a little bit more. Blaney is going to have a lot more difficult run, I think, because his his results at the next two tracks are not nearly as good as DiBenedetto's have been. DiBenedetto's results at Bristol, perfect. The only thing that Blaney has is that he actually runs well at Bristol. He can't finish a race at Bristol because of other issues. So that's he's his confidence going into that race is going to be super low. So when you looked into it. Blaney, my goodness, we, we both might be in trouble on our predictions on that Didn't side. Didn't expect of that one. No, no, did not. So that was that. So outstanding performance because we're kind of pushing on time here with the Auto Club news again. I shouldn't say if you're just tuning in, but still, that Auto Club news is still fresh in my mind. I can't believe that. It's going to be interesting to see how that develops. So outstanding performance, Rob. Who do you got? So I'm going to give mine to a guy that is very polarizing for some reason. This is a thing. You ever read social media remarks on Mick Schumacher? The the fans' opinions on this guy is so divided. 50% say he's the next coming of Michael, and 50% say he's nothing but a washed-up, never will be. I have no idea why anybody, nobody can just come to an agreement and say he's an inconsistent Formula 2 driver that is also very fast, because that's really what I would call him. Um, but on, on Saturday and even on Sunday, Mick Schumacher definitely got the job done. He won the the feature race, which in and of itself, it's harder to win a feature race than it is a sprint race, let's be honest. Because a feature race, you have to qualify well. Not only do you have to qualify well, but you have to usually stay where you are and pass cars. And Schumacher was able to pass cars fairly well um, and and come home and take the win. Uh, And he still finished third. Uh, He still finished on the podium, I believe, in, in the sprint race, which, again, when you take the reverse grid pole... He had to pass a number of cars to get to third, uh, and I believe it would have been fourth after the the Tickton penalty, uh, tick fourth before the Tickton penalty. Excuse me, um, but even then, Schumacher coming home and basically one one minute we're not talking about this guy for the championship. We're talking about his teammate Schwartzman. We're talking about Callum Eilat, you know. And then all of a sudden, here comes Mick Schumacher's. Like, by the way, I'm ten points within all of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I mean, yes, we still have a long Formula 2 rate season to go, 
But, you know, there's again, there's a lot of people who are talking about, okay, who's going to be in the Alfa Romeo seats next season? Who's going to be in the Haas seats next season? There's a lot of really, really talented Ferrari junior drivers that are coming up right now. Mick is one of them. We know that Ferrari wants Mick in a car in a Formula One car next as soon as possible, basically. Mick definitely made his case for why he should be in Formula One this this weekend. Uh, and, you know, I'm giving him that outstanding performance. I think, you know, you mentioned two drivers that I think very much deserve it as well, and I, I didn't want to take anything away from them. Um, so I want you to be able to highlight those two drivers, but Mick is a guy that should not be overlooked because, again, like I said, yeah, he's a little bit inconsistent here and there, but guy knows how to win. This is his second Formula 2 win. And we'll see if this momentum carries him to uh, maybe even a championship in Formula 2 to beat Robert Schwartzman and Callum Eilat, which is, again, two Ferrari junior drivers that he's essentially racing for for Formula 1 seats next season would be pretty big. Yeah. Man, I cannot pick. I mean, I didn't know who you were going to pick, and it would have been okay if you picked one of my guys because I would just pick the other. But you didn't. I can't I can't do this segment without mentioning Pierre Gasly and Austin oh, Dillon. I'm sorry. You have I, to mention Gasly. Gasly's the yeah. obvious choice. Yes, Pierre is the clear and obvious choice. But Austin Dillon is a real close second. So Pierre Gasly, obviously, he didn't let the pressure get to him. But that's the, that's the big thing. He had the fantastic restart that set up this, that he passed Stroll, and he got in a second, and he, and he gets to that first chicane, and he's staring at Hamilton's gearbox. And you know, in the radio, Hamilton's coming in. Hamilton has to serve a penalty. So you are the de facto leader. And there was 25-plus laps left in this race. And he holds on, doesn't get let the pressure get to him, holds off Carlos Sainz. Because, you know, I think Sainz was a little faster. Oh, Sainz was a man on a mission. Yes. I mean, you heard it in the, in his voice Yes, when he, how much he wanted this race victory. Like, especially so the team was telling him, think about the big picture. Think about the big picture. Right. I want this win. Well, I dude, want listen, win. when is the next time Carlos Sainz has to realize – He's got to be sitting there. He's on the podium. The car that he is going to drive next season just had its brakes fail at Monza. Mm-hmm. This might be his last chance to win for a while. Yes. He You're has talking at least 20 got months. to go. 20 yeah, months. got to go for it. it. Yeah. So I, I, I hand it to him for not letting the – or Pierre Gasly for not letting the pressure get to him and not let the signs and that McLaren just overpower his, his mental state. So good for him. And then Austin Dillon – um, started in the back and then had some good pit strategy got and, and, and timely cautions, but he held his position, ran in the top 15 most of the race uh, after the beginning, like really the last 70% of the race, he was in the top 15 and then found himself the right place at the right time and gave it one last final charge into, into, the, into the corner, and he just about stole it from Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick was sleeping anymore. Um, and I actually... I might go out on a limb here and say, I think Dylan might have had the better car there at the end because Harvick's car wasn't the best all day long, but Dylan just looked at it. Maybe, maybe Dylan was just driving that car so close to the edge, but those are my two outstanding performance. I, you mentioned Mick Schumacher. I couldn't go through and, and, and sleep tonight and not mention Pierre Gasly and, and Austin Dillon. Well, I think when you talk about Austin Dillon, I think if it was the Southern 502, I think Austin Dillon would have been the victory victor of that because it was very clear the way he was lapping and the way as fast as he was catching Kevin Harvick there in those last few laps, he just ran out of time, I mm-hmm. think, to catch him. I think there was no doubt in my mind he had the faster car, and it looked like he was driving as he was 
putting that car out there as hard as he could and driving it as hard as he could to try and beat Kevin Harvick. And he just ran out of time. I mean, I think he had he if he had one more lap, that run he got off of turn four on the last lap, if he had one more lap to go catch Kevin Harvick, I think he would have done it. I really yeah. do think he would have done it. So, you know, Dylan went for it and full send into that last turn, and it, it almost worked out for him. I mean, yeah, the closing rate, one, I mean, there, the, the Rick Allen's given the race to Harvick, and then here comes uh, Dylan catching him at like, you know, what, a foot, a, a millisecond almost, you know, yeah. flying up there. Could have been different, man. If Could we had just did one more lap, Southern 502, it would probably been a whole, whole different race. But uh. Right. All right, so here we got some uh, upshifting and downshifting to do here. Uh, our favorite segment of the day. We have five questions here. We're kind of running high on time here, but we're going to extend the show a little bit because of the Auto Club news. Again, we're going back to that. That's still so shocking. But it still, is shocking. Upshifting and downshifting here. Uh, upshift means you disagree. Downshift means you uh, upshift means you agree. Downshift means you disagree to the piece of news, the statement, or hypothetical question that we present. New, you throw it in a neutral. You don't care. It doesn't interest you, or you just don't have enough information to to shift up or down confidently on that one. Uh, look for the questions again on our Twitter for uh, at the Robin Roller Twitter. You can play along there. Let us know what you think. Give us an explanation, or just give us an up or down emoji. And let us know what you think there. Again, hashtag Robin Roller there. So the first one here, uh, NASCAR should at least release a preliminary calendar that is subject to change. That way teams, sponsors, tracks, and other partners can at least have an uh, idea of how the 2021 schedule will play out. Do you upshift or downshift? You know, I think uh, in the time, in the COVID era where we are right now, I think that I'd rather I'd rather not because of how fluid the situation still is and has been since March, um, anything can change. And I think especially with, depending on which state you go to, it's going to have different regulations on whether or not how many fans can be there, you know, how many people can be in one, one area. I think it's just best to play it on the safe side. You know, maybe you want to, you want to let certain teams know, you know, what kind of, it, that there's a plan, you know, what the plan is for the schedule, but you don't necessarily need to release a preliminary calendar if you don't really know if fans are going to be able to attend. You know, we hope that they can. We hope that they can, but we don't know. We don't know. It's still it's still way too early to determine that, and, you know, we don't plan for I mean, we're, 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 we saw this problem with college football. Is we just ex- assumed all of this would be over by now. We just assumed all of this would be over by now, but it's not. It's not, and we don't know when this could end. Because we don't know when we're going to get a handle on this. We don't know when people are going to actually start taking the pandemic seriously and actually start wearing their masks instead of, you know, deciding to be Karens about it and say, no, my, my body, my choice, which, whatever. Um, you know, we don't know when this is going to happen. So I think you have to play You have to play it by ear. Unfortunately, I downshift because I don't think it's right to start trying to make solid decisions yet. I still think we're at a time where we need to start playing it by ear. I want to disagree. I want to upshift because I think you can release a schedule and say, it says, look, this is our intention. This is our intended schedule. All right. It is subject to change based off of, you know, the ever fluid situation of the world, you know, that we, that we are in. And in, in some respects, every schedule is like that. I'm always subject to change, but 
I think it's more important now more than ever to let the teams and sponsors and our partners know, look, we are going to Road America in June. Is there a Milwaukee company that's interested in being, you know, being a part of that week in a Milwaukee based company? Um, is there something that the Road America needs to do to be prepared for that race? Instead of doing it step by step, I, I, I'm sure tracks will be in that conversation more. But if you let the teams know, hey, look, this is going to happen, and Team A lets sponsor, lets one of their sponsors know, and someone leaks that, oh my gosh, we're going to Las Vegas in June. What are we doing? You know, I think it's just best here. This is our plan. This is what we hope to do. If everything works out, we may not have fans at this track or this race. We may not have. We may only have some fans. But this is our intended plan. I think that's that's important at, at this time, um, especially for the promoters and all that. Um, so we are re- the next one here. We are revisiting a recent question, but things have gotten worse for Ferrari. Um, let, let's 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 give you an update here. Uh, Ferrari sits six in the constructors' championship, and they are thirty-seven points out of third. So they are more than a race wins worth of points out of third. Crazy to think that. But uh, do you upshift or downshift that Ferrari finishes fifth or worse in the constructors' points? Because remember last time we said fourth or worse. Now it's fifth or worse. Dude, if they keep having double retirements like this, they'll be lucky at this point to be – they'll be lucky at this point to be seventh. You know, or even eighth, because they're going to be ahead of uh, guys like, uh, you know, Alfa Romeo and Haas. And that's uh, Alfa Torre has 47 points. They're seventh. And then Alfa Romeo has two and eight. Yeah. And Gasly has a win. And how many wins do Leclerc and Vettel have? Zero. Zero. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. No, I got to upshift. I I think it's just going to continue to get progressively worse for Ferrari at this point. And McLaren and and, and uh, it's just going to continue to give all of my sympathy towards Carlos Sainz, who probably signed one of the greatest and also worst contracts in the history of Formula One. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I can't add any more to that. I upshift. They will finish fifth or worse. And again, I think they'll be lucky to finish sixth, to be honest. Um, all right. So three Arkham Menard, the uh, this is a hypothetical. The three Arkham Menard divisions of NASCAR should be combined into a single 20-25 to 25 race schedule with three championships overall, east and west. Do you upshift or downshift? You know, I think at this point it's probably the best idea to go because seeing so many ARCA races pull less than 12, 20 cars and seeing the race this weekend only pull 14 and only half of the field was competitive. Seven cars were competitive that, that day. Uh, the other seven either dropped out or went a lap down early. So I think it's time to just consolidate ARCA and try and increase field car counts. You know, I don't know if you want to have three separate championships within one series. You can do that. You, you might as well do that if you want to make it like that. But at the same time, I, I also would like a more kind of like, kind of like a series that starts how do I explain this? I think it would be cool if Arca started in the East, in the East Coast, and then gradually moved West. You know what I mean? Not yeah. necessarily following a linear support schedule, but just gradually moves West. You know, you yeah. start in the East, and then you start out the season in the East, you know, maybe in Florida at New Smyrna or something, with uh, or at Daytona. Even in that, Daytona would also work. 
And then you gradually, you know, you stay on the East Coast for a little bit. Uh, you maybe run a, one or two races in the Midwest, just just like Salem. You could still run the race at Salem early on in the, Salem, in the season. Toledo, Winchester, Dacoin, yeah. Illinois State Fairgrounds. And then gradually move yourself west. You know, start getting, you know, if you could go to I-70, go to I-70. You know, mm-hmm. if you could go to, uh, what's, a, what's a track out in, like, if you can go to the Las Vegas Bowl Ring, do it. You know, if you can go to a track, you know, heck, go to, go to, we talked about this track. Go to Heartland Park, dude. Yep. Dude, go there. Um, you know, these, these are all places, these are all options that the ARCA series can take looks at, uh, and potentially go for it, it trying to consolidate the schedule into one that big thing. I've always been the idea if, if you want to have a regional series like that, the best route to do is have your schedule kind of move regionally with it, you know, um, have it start in one region of the, of the country and then have it slowly move to another region so that, you know, you finish your season, you know, I don't know, like an Irwindale or something out west. Or heck, you could still end it at Kansas. Even you could still end it at Kansas. Nobody would even care. Um, it wouldn't have to be Irwindale. Which, by the way, let's speaking of that Auto Club news, probably will put will I don't further think put put I don't that nail in that coffin. Is it two different facilities? I don't think Auto Club will do that. I think it'll be. I think I hear what you're saying, but I don't think that will happen. Irwindale has been barely on the edge edge of being sold and demolished for the past three years now i know unless unless, if they move like if they move the arca series west to the california speedway or whatever it's going to be called and completely abandon irwindale i don't see how that doesn't end destroy the series destroy the track i I, I, I don't know i don't know but for me, on, on the on the schedule, I mean, I upshift. I think I don't know if you need to do it straight regionally, but you know, if you could get the Venturini cars, all the DGR Crosley cars, all the Bill McAnally cars, all the uh, crap. What is the what's the other big team? There's another. I can't remember it now. It's falling. It's it's missing me. The, the six, Brett Holmes's team. Too? The six and the nine and the Arca West. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay, that team. Um, there's another couple other teams in the in the East. If you get all of them running one schedule, and then let's say Bill McAnally says, you know what, they're racing in Bristol. I only want to take three cars there. Okay, so that allows the other two cars to compete for a West Championship kind of deal. You know, you set a West, you know, type of deal schedule where these twelve races are part of a West. I don't know, just kind of like I don't want to travel that far. But your hope is is that every that most of them will travel to all twenty to twenty five six or whatever races there is, and because uh, I, I I think honestly that's what NASCAR's thought is and what it will eventually become. All right, but it is clear and evident now that COVID is not going to allow that to what they wanted to have or they what they what they originally intended for ARCA to be. It's not going to happen, um, and that's sad. But as I was thinking about this. Racing series come and go, all right? In ARCA, the way we grew up with ARCA, that way is gone, unfortunately, now. And part of that has been the decisions by ARCA and NASCAR independently and jointly um, that, ha- that have done that in, and then economic reasons. Um, the next one here. Uh, we hope to see some new venues on the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series schedule, which we're already getting Nashville Super Speedway. But if a track currently on the Cup schedule was deserving of a second date, that track is Darlington Raceway. Do you upshift or downshift? I think I know what you're going to do. I don't even need to like explain this. It's an upshift. It's an automatic upshift. I think the one that I upshift too. I think you mentioned Kansas earlier. I think what's 
I I can see a a a reality where Kansas's second day goes to Iowa, and Michigan's second date goes to Gateway, or or Road America. So where do you get that other date from for Darlington at type of deal? That's the problem because we can't add races and unless they were to majorly renegotiate the TV contract, which I don't think will happen. And you're not going to take a race away from Richmond or Bristol or excuse me, Richmond or Martinsville. So that's obviously not going to happen. So that where does that race come from? But I agree. Darlington has proven time and again, it deserves a second date. Even if it's even if it's a cup and a truck weekend, it deserves a second weekend. All right. Uh, not every team, especially this is the last one here today. Not every team, especially major teams, participated in Throwback Weekend. Certainly, there could have been some COVID nineteen related obstacles that prevented teams and sponsors from participating. But do you upshift or downshift that Throwback Weekend still has a place in NASCAR? I upshift. I think it absolutely still has a place because, you know, Throwback Weekend is one of the greatest uh, opportunities for fans of the sport um, who are both involved in it and, and not involved in it uh, in, in, in a professional way to kind of come together and celebrate the history of NASCAR and, and celebrate the history of NASCAR's pioneers, the drivers, the teams, the sponsors that helped build the sport up to where it is, you know, giving back almost, saying thank you for getting us to where we are today. Uh, and, and, and we want to showcase that, you know, we, I love seeing paint schemes, honoring different drivers, honoring different teams, honoring companies that have been with the series or been with a team for so long. You know, I like seeing that. Uh, I think it's a really good opportunity to bring all NASCAR fans together for at least one weekend and celebrate our history, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's something that we should continue to do. I mean, I understand why. Some teams don't participate in it. It's unfortunate, but the majority of teams tend to try and participate in it. And the majority of the sponsors as well are usually very much behind it because it's a huge merchandising opportunity. I mean, if I think about how hard it was for me to find a Bubba Wallace t-shirt last season, it was almost impossible to find one in my size. Like the moment that they came out, they sold out in larges, and I could not find one in my size. I was lucky to find a medium, but I didn't have money at the time, so I couldn't buy it. You know, I I, I spent all my money that I was going to use to buy the shirt on on bills, you know, or whatever, uh, and so I didn't have an opportunity to buy the shirt at the time. But, you know, but after that, when I had the money again, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. So it's huge merchandising opportunities for some of these sponsors and some of these teams. So I really do think it's something that needs to stay – uh, in, in NASCAR for a long time because, you know, it just makes everyone feel good. Throwback weekend is a good time to celebrate Labor Day, celebrate the Southern 500, celebrate just chilling back and, and, and grilling. And that's what, that's, heck, that's what we, me, me and uh, my girlfriend did this past week. I made burgers and we made, I, I put some fries in the oven uh, and, and we just had kind of like an indoor cookout because we live in an apartment. Uh, we had a little indoor cookout. And watch the Southern 500. And I think that's what, you know, people should be able to do. That's what that, that's kind of how it should be. And we should celebrate our history by uh, encouraging more teams to do throwback paint schemes. Yeah, I mean, I agree, too. Um, I just know that there's been a lot of people wondering about it and then the, the participation. And then now that Darlington is part of the, the playoffs, is it good corporate wise? You know, I, but again, for me, I'm going to add on a little bit what you said. It brings the new fans with the old fans, and it, it's a teaching moment. You know, how many new fans that we've gathered this year knew Dale Earnhardt drove the 77? 
you know, then the stories and it's just, it's just, it's a history weekend. So that's fun. You know, it's like going to, it's not going to a museum, but it's kind of like going to one where, you know, you can, you can just learn about the past and celebrate, celebrate it and, and look forward to the future and the evolution of the sport. So yeah, everything you said, I agree with, it has a place to stay. I hope it's around for well, as long as I'm around and, and, uh, NASCAR's around, which I hope is around longer than me. <laughs> All right. So here, here we go. Roller yeah. racetrack. Um, speaking of California, <laughs> California, here we come. Sorry, it's all right. I was going to let you go on there. I no, just, I don't I, know I, the rest I, of the. I don't know the rest of the lyrics. I, well, I, that's I, good because I don't really want to pay the royalty fee for it. Good, I don't either. Um, so here, I'm going to jump right into this. In a way, have you ever wondered what a historic California swing of races would look like, and what tracks would be included? The obvious choices are Ontario Motor Speedway and Riverside International Raceway, right? Obviously. Mm -hmm. You probably should also include Hanford, Laguna Seca, and Sonoma. And you can probably add historic Auto Club Speedway to that list here in a few years. Uh, I have yet another track to throw into the ranking consideration, Orange County International Raceway. Now, you are probably thinking to yourself, you never heard of this track before, because unless you're a drag racing fan, that's perfectly okay. Perfectly okay. Uh, OCIR was located next to the intersection of the Santa Ana Freeway, I-5, and Highway 133, the Eastern Transportation Corridor, which is just to the west of the former Marine Corps Air Station, El Toro, which my dad was stationed at, by the way. Hmm. So there you go. Um, Right there. If you know where those two places are, you can find OCIR where it used to be. All right. When it opened in June of 67, the facility boasted a two-mile road course. Which was uh, which the northwest end of the road uh, road course followed the edges of the Santa Ana, Ana Freeway because the eastern transportation corridor wasn't built yet. Uh, there was also a quarter mile drag strip that officially opened on August fifth, nineteen sixty seven. Which I'll talk a little bit more in a bit in a second. Um, so I couldn't find much on the road course at OCIR, which was a little disappointing. I was really hoping to. I, I, I decided on this track before I could find anything on the road course, but that's okay. Cause we got some cool other stuff to talk about. Um, so it closed though to the next year, 1968 is only open from 67 to 68, but it was the founding location for the world renowned Bob Bondurant school of high performance driving. Uh, and, uh, before it reloaded, relocated to Ontario motor speedway in 1970. Um, but still, it was, it's part of the SoCal road course racing history that's so rich in California. I mean, you, California, I just think of road course racing. And uh, in, in, in a way, it was a part of it. I'm sure there were some great races there. I just couldn't, unfortunately, find anything on it. So, But what I could find and what I will concentrate on today is the drag strip part of the history, which is a first on this show. Uh, we, you're usually talking about you know ovals and road courses, but I've never talked about a drag strip before. In depth. So when it opened in 1967, it was called the Super Track. And 25 years after it was closed, Bruton Smith's Z Max Dragway and its grandeur was compared to Orange County International Raceway among the drag racing community. Um, so this track came about with partnership with the NHRA and Mike Jones, who was a former designer and draftsman, uh, who was also a engine designer at the time uh, that the track came about. Jones had been trying to work with the city of Anaheim to bring a ballpark and drag strip uh, to Anaheim, but when the city's bid to land an NFL franchise failed, 
it became apparent that a ballpark and drag trip would not coexist. So he had to look elsewhere. Interesting combination for sure. Uh, the land that OCR would be built on was owned by Irvine County, uh, and they already turned down a bid from Carol Shelby and Jim Hall to build a racetrack on that particular ground. Uh, but the NHRA partners, Bill White and Larry Vaughn, and then again with Jones, promised to build not just a drag strip, but a facility like no other. OCR definitely lived up to that. After five local residents were assembled, including an investment banker, they put together the initial capital of 80000 and resubmitted the bid. Irvine County granted the project a 55-year lease, which would have lasted through 2022. All right. Jones was quoted in the opening season, season program saying, quote, if there were one basic premise on which Orange County International Raceway was founded, it is that if the sport of auto racing is to enjoy continued growth and success, facilities must be provided that are commensurate with the professional status of men and cars competing there. We set out to create an atmosphere, an atmosphere of professionalism, of excitement, yet one of comfort, unquote. I mean, that's like profound from 1967, all oh, right? Yeah. That, that's kind of, that's putting it out there. Now, what did that mean exactly? Permanent restrooms in concession stands in the NHRA article that I, that I, that I got this from here. Right. He said, that's things we take for granted today. And in 1967, that really wasn't the case. Okay. You might just go to a local racetrack and there might just be a hole in the ground and a, and a shed over the top and say, go to the bathroom. Trough at IMS. Trough to IMS. There you go. So still not fixed by the way, you know, uh, Roger Penske has not gotten rid of the troughs yet. They still exist. Still exist. He's he's made the bathrooms look nice, but as nice as they can be with troughs. Exactly. Exactly. Good, good for Roger. (laughs) So, again, permanent restrooms, concession stands, underground utilities, a restaurant, a speed shop, a children's playground, all right, a distinctive 40-foot-high, three-story tower that, by the way, was really unique, and the the rendering for it didn't actually come about, uh, didn't become reality, but still very cool. Um, So that three-story tower that housed the administration offices, timing and announcing deck, and a top-floor suite, and a starting line-based scoreboard. Now these things are just like the normal today, but that wasn't the wasn't the case in 1967. No. And it, it, the track was, if you look at the pictures of it, it's just beautiful for the time. You think, why is that just a black and white picture of a track from 2004? You know, that's kind of what I think about. So Jones was especially dedicated to creating a safe facility. The track was 75 feet wide and and at 4,200 feet, plenty long. A 300 foot uh, sand trap capped by water-filled plastic barriers uh, was at the end of it. He hired Marines from the from the El Toro Air Base uh, who were experienced in crash and fire rescue procedures and uh, who were familiar with protective clothing, clothing necessary to extract drivers from, you know, a wrecked car. Um, and the safe, they, you know, they worked with the safety trucks and, and ambulances and kind of developed plans, you know, for, for, for this. So that's what the Marines were uh, responsible for. Uh, and it was Jones was quoted to uh, uh, was quoted in saying quote to allow the fastest possible reaction to an emergency unquote so very he's thinking of everything. Um, OCIR would also be the first track to bring together all nations touring funny cars for the first manufacturers meet to help sell this idea and the growing professionalism of the sport. Jones made sure that the press box was modern, air conditioned, and had all the devices available at the day during the day. Uh, for journalists to use. 
So if you needed it to do your job, report on the on whatever it was properly, it was there. Again, something that was just overlooked uh, in the day. Um, so what happened to the track, right? First was a 400% increase in property taxes. Oh, that'll do it. That's, that's a killer. And then you had double-digit insurance premium increases, and then drivers wanted bigger purses. So what was supposed to cost this much now is like, you know, six, seven times that. All right? Um, this was all just within the first few seasons of operation. Then Jones departed the track in, 19, in July of 1973, and the track signed a five-year deal with the AHRA instead of the NHRA. So, again, it used to be an NHRA track. Now it's an AHRA track. So it's competitor, less you know, renowned compared to the NHRA, so that's not good. Uh, to help set, offset rising costs, Vaughn, who was the last original owner in 1975, proposed that excess land be leased to commercial uses. Sounds familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that idea was rejected by Irvine County, who had the lease uh, of the land returned to them. But Vaughn was, however, able to strike a new five-year lease with the land, all right, or from with the county, I should say. So what was originally a 55-year lease has now been taken back and is now a five-year lease. Crazy. Ownership changes shortly after led to a new type of atmosphere. Rowdy and drunken fans didn't promote good family atmosphere, which had existed uh, for the housing boom in the area. Again, when a track was built, a lot of farmland and, and, and like ranch kind of stuff, uh, where you look at the land today, it's it's commercial, it's housing. The El Toro Air Base, which closed in 1999, part of it is like uh, is ballparks and soccer fields and stuff. So it's 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 very much a community now instead of farmland of the racetrack out in the middle of nowhere. All right. Uh, nor now, not what also didn't help was the annual quote fox hunt, which gave free admission to women who wore bathing suit attire to the track. Oh, that's just classy. That's probably again differences in ownership, leadership, yeah. right? You could and tell. It, and it went against Jones's original idea of professionalism and the way racing was not this, you know, rowdy business and greasers yelling and hooting and hollering at each other. Okay. It, it, it was, it was totally went against that. But in 1980, ownership changed once more to former funny car driver Charlie Allen, who returned the track to a family atmosphere. The track hosted eight to 10 events uh, a season. But again, the, the biggest struggle really wasn't finances it was the lease all right there was a lease that did them in the land was too valuable for for the housing and commercial boom that was going on in the area in 1983 new roads were being built and bridges over the highways well you don't build roads and bridges over a highway spend that much money if you don't intend on using them and building something around them right well the lease wasn't wasn't re re-upped and the track closed at the end of 1983 Okay, so from 1967 to 1983, there was a drag strip there, very popular uh, among the drag community. And Kenny Bernstein, who used to own a NASCAR team, the 26 Quaker State car for years, he used this track as a as a test run because his shop was just down the road, believe it or not. Uh, now, Allen would have an agreement with Irvine County that he could take anything from OCIR to his new track being built in Arizona, Firebird International Raceway. As long as he didn't hinder any of the county business on the raceway's property, which they were setting up a bunch of other things and starting some dem- dem- uh, demolition, but he could take anything he wanted from the property that was the tracks to his new to his new facility. Um, 
And that was it. That's the history of it. I wish there was more on the road course, but if you're a drag fan, you just maybe learned something. I think drag fans might know a little bit more about OCIR than Oval fans. So history of America Speedways, past and present, and Cherry helped help with this one today. So I uh, I learned a lot. I knew of Orange County, but I didn't know that there was a lack of history in road in the road course side. And then you learned about the fascinating struggle. It wasn't finances in the how in in that brought it down. It was a county. It very rarely was it the county that we've seen had something bring bring a racetrack down. It's just the land value itself. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Rob, any last words before we go on what's in the windshield? No, not really. Much of what's in the windshield outside of uh, when we do get to the what's in the windshield, I do want to mention that um, the Formula 3 race com- season should come to an end this weekend at Magello. So that's something to keep an eye on. But – uh, I do want to thank you for that history lesson, Josh, because that was very interesting and very, you know, timely. Like, we didn't even plan this. We got no. breaking news about a California track that yeah. is now officially, essentially the same thing is happening to it. Thankfully, it's not befalling the same exact uh, outcome, but yeah. boy, it's a, that's surprising <laughs> that it would be that coincidental. Yeah, it takes the cake for reconfigurations. You know, Darlington just flipped. Atlanta mm-hmm. added a added a, a quad oval uh, aspect to it, and two with two dog legs, and then uh, Phoenix added. Phoenix just called? changed where the the start finish lighting was. Yeah, they added they they extended the kink and removed grass, and yeah. uh, but this one takes the cake. So what's in the windshield? As you mentioned, F three concludes this weekend at Mugello, but Formula One again, as a result, stays in Italy. The Tuscan Grand Prix, the inaugural Tuscan Grand Prix at Mugello Circuit on Sunday, September 13th. Um, that's going to be a fun one. That is, you know, another race, a home race for Ferrari. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, if you we- mean Alpha Tauri. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was about to say that. Um, and, you know, let's see. Maybe, maybe the Saubers can, can outrun Ferrari too this weekend and get some points. All right. Uh, as we uh, mentioned, they're still, they're still under a Swiss license. Alfa Romeo is still under the Saubers Swiss license. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. They're close though. But as Rob mentioned earlier, IndyCar has received permission and their postponed doubleheader at Mid-Ohio uh, Mid- Sports Car Course will go on this weekend, Saturday the 12th and Sunday the 13th. Excited. I, I, I like Mid-Ohio. I enjoy it. It's and then NASCAR is in Richmond Raceway. Excuse me. Is at Richmond Raceway and at Toledo Speedway this weekend. The Arkham Menards uh, Series races at Toledo on Saturday as replacement for Salem Speedway in Indiana and will serve as a combination race for the Arkham Menards Series and the Arkham Menard Series East. So there we go. Might have a little bit higher field count for that one with some teams that usually aren't in the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, is the big race for the Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series because their first race at Richmond since 2005 when Mike Skinner won. And uh, and it was on the original schedule too. So this isn't an addition. This was an original track on the schedule this year. Uh, the Toyota Care 250 also serves as the 16th and final regular season race for the trucks. That race is Thursday night on September 10th. The Xfinity Series races on September uh, 11th and 12th. Uh, that's a Friday and Saturday. Uh, the Gold Bowling 250 uh, in Saturday's Virginia is for Racing Levers 250. That's the relocated Michigan race that uh, NASCAR moved. Uh, these are the third and second to last races of the regular season for the Xfinity Series. Time's running out for guys like Jeremy Clements and uh, some of these other guys below the cut line to make up points, if not somehow steal a win. 
And then on Saturday night, the Cup Series versus the Federated Auto Parts 400, the second race in the round of 16. So guys like Blaney, Benedetto, they're looking to make up points. But the same can be said for guys like Chase Elliott and Martin Truex Jr., who lost out on some points this week because of actions taken. So, all right. That's it. That's it for the show. We ran long today. We kind of had uh, some news we had to talk about with Auto Club. Um, so, But next week, we do predict uh, or make our predictions for the Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series playoffs. Um, again, make sure you follow us on, on Twitter. If you made it this far, I'm sure you heard it in the beginning. Uh, use the hashtag Robin Roller to, to follow us, play along with our upshift, downshift, share your featured paint scheme, whatever your favorite uh, throwbacks or your top five as well. Uh, let us know uh, what you think about the featured racetrack and if you have any suggestions. Maybe is there one I should explore? Um, and as our PSA, wear your mask, keep racing alive and and, and, and well. And if you want to have things return back to normal as soon as possible, we're taking steps, but there's still more that needs to be done for 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 it, for it to completely come back around. Um, and you know, for you college football fans out there, I mean, if you want the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to play uh, a season together beginning in December, wear your mask. All right, that's it for today. All right, we've been long. We apologize. For Rob Peters, I'm Josh Roller, and this was the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a great week, everybody.